Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Lichten Lifestyle. I'm Steve Pack, along with Dr. Edward Lichten, the expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine. How are you, Dr. Lichten? Really well, Steve. And you? Good. Good. We've talked about what subject matter to discuss in this program, and I thought that I would just ask some questions, because there are a lot of questions that I want to know about and other listeners have as well, and it's things that we don't understand about medicine. And one of the things that I've never understood about medicine is when I go visit a doctor before you, you know, I go in there and it seems like I'm on a time clock. It's a race. I'm in, well, I wait a long time before I get to see him, but then when I see him, I'm lucky if I get seven minutes. And in fact, I've heard that the national average time spent doctor with patients is about seven minutes. So one of the things I wonder about is why don't doctors spend more time with their patients? I know you do, but in general, can you answer that question? Well, they've got the formula now because of what the doctor gets paid for his time. So if you're at the University of blank blank, the doctors have a beeper in their pocket. And when the time comes where it's five minutes, they get a first beep. Mm -hmm. And when they get seven minutes, the second beep, and they have to leave. Because they know that the you know the bean counters if you say that the doctor's going to get somewhere between 34 and 56 dollars for his time he needs to go ahead and collect the information write the prescription then he has to take two minutes to dictate so if he spends seven minutes a minute between rooms and two minutes to dictate that's 10 minutes now he's got to hit six patients an hour to generate 200 dollars now 200 dollars an hour considering that overhead runs about 65 percent means that he has to see 10 patients, 8 to 10 patients an hour to be able to generate $135,000 in income. So it's because of the reimbursement for the time. Now, in that seven-minute time frame, he's going to write prescriptions that could cost the taxpayer two to $4,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it make more sense to spend more time and use less drugs? and get better answers, but the system doesn't reinforce better treatment. It reinforces that the doctor has to get paid a minimum mm-hmm. for the time because the government has sent how much his time is worth. Yeah, but my question is, can you be effective in seven minutes? I mean, is that an accurate number that I've heard, that seven minutes is, is about the average time doctors spend? I'm telling you, in the, in the university setting, they have to function in that seven-minute time frame or they lose their jobs. It's not an option of seven minutes versus 10 minutes. This is they have to work because the bean counters have said you have to generate X number of dollars per hour or otherwise you won't make your salary. So, yeah, it doesn't work. Now, my role of time is, as you already know, is I spend more time with the patient. I do not accept the $35, obviously, if I'm going to spend an hour with a patient. But we have a whole protocol discussed in one hour. And in that one hour, we have a plan for the next six months. And with that kind of effort put up front, I can cut down the cost of the prescription medications because in the bottom line, we're spending half of our healthcare dollars on prescription medicine, of which up to 90% of it is useless or expensive or inappropriate. Well, I'm going to get more into that medicine end in just a couple of minutes, but can you really be effective with the patient in seven minutes? Well, I've got almost 40 years of experience, and I'll tell you that I can't treat a patient effectively in seven minutes. So I keep my overhead down. Number of girls is down. I draw my own blood. 
I see my patients and I have time to talk to them. You know, I can talk to them when I'm drawing blood, taking their blood pressure, talk to them when we're giving them injections or IV therapy, whatever we're doing. I am in the room. Mm-hmm. One-on-one is how what works. If you don't spend time with a patient, you won't find the answer. See, the first thing that taught us in medical school a long time ago, if you give the patient enough time, they will tell you what's wrong with them. And rarely can you find that piece of information in less than 30 to 40 minutes. So if you don't spend 30 to 40 minutes with a patient first time out, the odds are you are going to miss the diagnosis and you're going to miss the treatment. Well, hello. Think about what we're talking about, people. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that makes sense. You need to know. But yet, you've only got seven minutes to know it. You can't know it in seven minutes. So, can I draw the line that most doctors don't really know or be complete with their information on a patient if they only have seven minutes? And if they can't, how do they make their determination? Remember, from a financial standpoint, let's just take a hospital, for example, that has the doctors working for them. Where they make the most money by the first visit. So you take the patient, you divide the patient up into 12 parts. So do you have headaches? You go to the neurologist. Does your vision bother you? Go to the ophthalmologist. Do you have trouble with your gums? You go to the oral surgeon. Do you have trouble with your neck? You go to the orthopedist or the neurosurgeon. Do you have chest pain? Well, then you need to be evaluated by a cardiologist. Do you have trouble with your lungs? Well, you have to see the asthma specialist. Are you a female? You see the gynecologist. Are you a male? You see the urologist. Uh, do you have a uh, problem with your muscles? Well, you see the rheumatologist. So what's typically done in hospitals or in large groups, whichever way the patient comes in, you have to see our doctors. We have our own diabetologists, our own endocrinologists, our own cardiologists. We don't care if you've been seen by someone else. We have someone new visit billing available to you. Now, my role has always been is that I don't care what your problems are. I want to treat you as a whole patient. Right. So there's one office visit for a new patient, not 12. And trust me, when I send a patient off to the cardiologist at the university or the rheumatologist at the other university or the big hospital group, that patient's worked up. And I don't have all the answers. But I sure bet you I'm at least 90% of the way towards the answers. So that specialist has one intervention to do. And trust me, less than 5% of my patients get referred to a second physician, other than the urologist. You know, we have all these specialists, so now I only need to deal with you for seven minutes for this issue. And if you need something else, go to this guy for his seven minutes. Yes. Nutty. I mean, especially that I'm in, gynecology is truly a woman's specialty. Mm -hmm. And over 90% of all the interventions that are necessary for that woman can be handled by a gynecologist. And that's why I chose this field. I couldn't stand the idea that if I found the diagnosis of a problem, I had to send them off for someone to finish a job. But a woman comes in, whether she has a question about a breast cyst, or she's got a headache, or she has menstrual irregularities, or she's having trouble with postpartum depression, whatever she's dealing with, we learned as specialists for women how to take care of the whole entity. And family practice is doing a better job. They still you know, have aspects that they're weaker in. But when it comes to the gynecologists, and in the anti-aging field, over one-fourth of all the anti-aging specialists are gynecologists. They understand the holistic concept. Let me take care of all of you. And what we've been teaching in our podcast is that the endocrine system is a basis for most disease. And it's something you can measure with blood tests, and you can treat, and you can fix. 
And if you can fix the central core endocrine system, lo and behold, a lot of things get better, whether it's the Crohn's or the colitis or the PMS or the migraine or the muscle spasm or the menstrual bleeding. Just by resetting the hormones, we can do so much for all the diseases. And truth is, in the new healthcare that will happen, either the right way or the government way, the family practitioner will be back making decisions or the gynecologist will be making decisions mm-hmm. because we can't afford 57 specialists. You know, the joke was, I only take care of ingrown toenails on the outer part of your left hand <laughs> and the little <laughs> finger. So the specialists have gotten to the point in time where they, and the specialists look for diseases that make no sense to the common origin of the patient. I have patients come in who are being worked up for some crazy platelet abnormality and they're diabetic. And the woman's 45 years old. She doesn't have this disorder. And then he comes back saying, well, we have this genetic factor. I said, so what? It has nothing to do with her. Nothing, it has nothing to do with adjusting her diabetes. Why did you run the test in the first place? Who cares? And the, years ago, it came up with a situation where a doctor had checked my wife and said, she has a brewery, which is a abnormal noise coming over liver. I said, what do you want to do? He says, well, we're going to do a invasive procedure and put a catheter into her leg and we're going to blow dye in to see where this is. I said, okay. And then what happens when you find out what it is? He says, well, then we're done. I said, do you operate on this? She says, no, it would kill her. I said, so whether she has the diagnostic test or not makes no difference. You just want to find out that what you can get by running the test. I said, hell no, you're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. They had the nerve to call behind my back, and I said, don't you ever do that again. If you can't intervene to find a way of treating the patient, then don't intervene. You know, why have patients in the hospital getting chemotherapy in the last two weeks of their life? It's insane. If you can't make their life better, don't do it. Another thing I wonder about is, are all these tests that doctors uh, send us to to have necessary, or are the the tests that are performed done merely to protect themselves for a liability point of view? Well, both are true. So let's take the example of the headache patient. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've done a lot of work over the last twenty five years with headaches. So the patient yeah. comes in the emergency room with a headache. Mm-hmm. What do they do? Well, you got to do an MRI. Why? Because you want to make sure it's not a brain tumor. Okay. You spent the eighteen hundred dollars. You give her a shot of Demerol. Send her home comes back next week. You didn't do anything. You ran the MRI. Meanwhile, what I teach is you could take 15 cents worth of lidocaine, done what are called trigger points, which are known to doctors the last 50 years, put a little Novocaine in the neck, see if the headache went away. Hey, if the headache went away, you didn't need to do the $1,500 MRI. See? Common sense and do some treatment. So the point is there are protocols created by hospitals and by neurological associations and diabetic associations to do all kinds of tests to say this is what everybody needs to do. On the other hand, there are alternatives that will work that are not, that are too cost effective and are too inexpensive to be useful for financial organizations. And we'll talk about some of that a little later. I mean, if you needed to do a test, uh, the test has to be done, I guess, but it just seems that, to me, a lot of the ones that I'm being sent out for just to, to cover their own rears. Because they didn't look at causation. You know, we take any one of the diseases we've talked about, whether it's headaches or migraine or insomnia. We can't sleep, so what we're going to do is we're going to do a $3,000 sleep study, 
And because we find you wake up, a lot of times we're going to put you on the CPAP machine at four or $500 a month. Mm-hmm. And I say, before you do anything, there's a $27 test to measure your vitamin D level. If your vitamin D level is low, and we already know from bright sunlight you sleep better, let's go ahead and give you a whole $20 every three months of vitamin D and see if you sleep better. And lo and behold, 80% of the patients get better, and I've saved eight to $12,000 a year. Something simple. It's scary what is out there. <laughs> it is. But one of the reasons doctors, I would imagine, don't do that is because while they're saving the medical system and the patient money, they're losing money. I mean, Dr. Roberts, the cardiologist we had on the show, he said in an earlier episode that the more successful he is, the less financially successful he is, meaning that when he's helping his patients heal so they don't go into surgery, he's making less money. Well, same thing applies. And give you an example about like hospitals work. One of the procedures we do as a gynecologist is called a DNC, mm-hmm. dilatation curatage. A woman has abnormal bleeding. You want to make sure it's not cancer. You take a little tube, put it into the uterus, and suck out some specimen, send it off. Mm-hmm. Okay? Reimbursement by Blue Cross is $56. Okay? Now, if that same patient goes to the hospital, gets a little bit of anesthesia, the hospital gets reimbursed $4,500. And it is well known within the specialty that if you're a gynecologist on staff at the hospital, you do all your DNCs at the hospital, and your salary you get is appropriately represented by how much you use the hospital. Hi, you still there? If you were a radio announcer and you were playing records, they would call that payola. This is called efficient use of hospital services. Sounds like payola. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me from a radio guy. You know, I'd call it whatever you want. But it's legit. It's legit. It's legit. Because the, that's the way the rules pl- apply to, right. to these nonprofit organizations called hospitals. Right. That's kind of funny, too, to me. It's always been funny to me that they're nonprofit organizations, yet they make so much money. They own all this property and malls, and, I mean, they're nonprofit. Well, I, let's go back to the most important thing. Is I came up with a treatment cure for diabetes 10 years ago, and they stopped the study. Who stopped the study? The hospital. Who didn't want it to happen? The endocrinologist. Who suffers? The people. Who remains ignorant? The people. Who has the answers? The government and the hospitals. And here we are with talking about diseases that should have been known ubiquitously across the world, and we could have had a positive influence for $4 a week on 200,000 diabetics. Yes, money speaks. It's but you, not just American greed. It's it's American pharmaceutical, insurance, government. Everybody wants people to stay sick. I don't want to be sick. I don't want my patients to be sick. I want health to be the buzzword that we give to everybody. Well, you've jumped ahead to my question, so I'll just follow through with that. Do doctors, hospitals, and pharmaceutical companies really want people cured, or is it all about the money? It sounds to me... It's all about the money. Show me the money. Well, I've met with the administrative people in research and development of 15 pharmaceutical companies across the world. And every one of them has the same game plan. And this is what it is. Number one, give me a product that is patentable. 
then I can go to the federal government where I have to pay $1.25 million to file my application and about $300 million to do the testing that the government wants me to do so that the FDA can approve the product. Now understand that almost 90% of the funding for the FDA comes from the drug companies. So those who are out there to regulate and protect you, their salary is coming from the people they are supposed to be interrogating and watching over. The same thing applies to the nuclear, nuclear agency as well. So when you look at what's happened over the last 40 years, the drugs have become more and more toxic. They are released into the public. Within four or five years, there's now over 15 drugs have been removed so the drug companies can make their money and get out, even though the FDA knew day one the drugs were poisonous. I'm going to get into a specific drug in just a minute, but first I'm going to start a firestorm, one that, you know, I, I know you a little bit, and uh, I know the, uh, the guy who's up in Flint, Michigan here, Michael, you know who I'm talking about, who does the documentaries yeah, and all that. What's his last name? My diabetic guy. What's his name? Michael Moore. Michael Moore. Michael Moore. He said something in his uh, documentary about healthcare that I agreed with, that the healthcare system shouldn't be a for-profit system. Now, that's the firestorm. I know how you feel about some of the stuff, and I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm asking you, why should this be a for-profit system in this country or any country why is our medical system for profit? Well, first of all, let's talk about Michael Moore. Michael Moore gave a political presentation that was about as truthful as what we hear in elections. I mean, there's one hospital in all of Cuba that's set up for their uh, government officials, and that's the hospital he goes to to see all these wonderful care, and the rest of the country is starving without health care. So first of all, Michael Moore is about as reputable as any other politician, Okay. He asked the question, why is it if someone has their finger cut off, they don't get unlimited health care? And the truth is, there are countries where there is unlimited health care. However, there's a 15% tax called a VAT on everything to pay for the health care, like Canada. Yeah. But when you offer unlimited health care, everybody uses it. Right. So if you're in Brazil and they say they pay for, pay for plastic surgery, everybody goes and has plastic surgery. I think it's Venezuela, not Brazil, but that's the point. When you're in Europe, and I've been in Europe a number of times and talked to the healthcare physicians, you have two problems. Number one is, same thing we're getting to here. The guy at the top tells you what's right. Okay? So we had the patient with Crohn's disease, mm -hmm. and the new treatment is Embrel or Humira, mm -hmm. which is $5,000 a month. He says it's right, everybody has to do it, while he gets a commission kickback from the drug companies. Okay, so number one, healthcare in Europe is strictly orchestrated. There is no variation. Just because the government says so, it's not right. But in Europe, can't you still buy healthcare additionally if you want it, better healthcare if you well, will? What happens is you got a six month wait. If you want to see the doctor, you pay him an extra 100 This was 25 years ago when I was in Europe and I asked the question. Mm -hmm. They paid $100. The doctor stayed over and saw a few people, and you had to pay cash to be seen quickly and promptly. So there is either rationing of health care and a 15% tax on everything you do if you want, quote, government socialized health care, 
or you have some system which is free market. Now, the thing you have to understand in this country, if you're living in downtown Detroit and you have a major problem, you have a major university center there and they're not going to turn you away. So the, the impetus to say that this country has no health care, I mean, I see people I treat for free or I charge them a few dollars so they've, you know, they have something they're contributing. But health care in the United States is really available to everyone. Yes, there's pockets where there won't be an issue, where there's an issue, but it's not the rule. Doctors, the rule, are pretty good guys, and they'll mm-hmm. take care of it. Now, the problem is, do you want socialized health care where it's, quote, unlimited Fixed care where everybody gets the same thing. You know, in Europe, if you want a vitamin C tablet, you got to get a prescription for it. Right. You want the government makes the decisions or you want a little free play where you can pick and choose. The trouble is here we really don't have as much freedom to pick and choose. You know the stories I've told you. You know, they don't like the idea I'm treating diabetes, so I'll get investigated by this group or Blue Cross won't pay for this mm-hmm. or hospital does this. And it's all there is a organized care here, which you either fit the mode or you – have issues, but there's enough people here who can work outside the box to at least give a semblance of some variety. But I wonder, are we are we speaking out of both sides of our mouths here? Are we yeah. because we're? I mean, on one hand, we're saying that they're charging too much and and, and they're raping us with the, the what they're what they're charging us for. But on the other hand, we're saying that you know it's a free enterprise system. Let them go. Well, there's three parts here. What the doctor in the United States gets for servicing his patients is not dissimilar than what he gets in Europe. So if you go see a doctor in in London and you're going to have an office visit and you see a doctor here, they're both probably going to get paid somewhere around $75. There's no difference. But in Europe, the pharmaceutical costs, which are 50% of the costs of healthcare, are one-third the price of the United States. So if I want to go ahead and change healthcare, the simplest thing I do is take a group of my patients across to Canada and fill the same prescriptions with the doctor there and I save two thirds. The second thing is the cost of the hospital care here is unbelievably expensive. Hospitals are stuck with, uh, to some extent, the uh, freeloaders. But the second thing, the hospitals are stuck with a high malpractice that Obama doesn't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Basically, healthcare costs are 15 to 33% higher here because of the cost of these Nuisance lawsuits. Lawsuits. Litigation. Driving prices so up. So take the lawyers out and have free enterprise, which allows us to buy drugs anywhere in the United States, anywhere in the world, and suddenly healthcare costs would drop 40% tomorrow. How do you take the lawyers out? I mean, the Don't right elect way. them to the be presidents of the United States. I mean, we're talking about... Uh, the pharmaceuticals, really. I mean, you, you said, and, and you're right in saying, that doctors make pretty much the same amount regardless of whether they're in Europe or here, but it comes down to the pharmaceutical companies. And you take a look at tamoxifen, which is a drug that's used for breast cancer, sells all over the world, but it sells for a tenth of the price in Canada that it does right here in the United States. While Americans are paying a dollar for a prescription drug right here in America, the same drug sold in the United Kingdom sells for 65 cents in France for 57 cents, and in Italy for 51 cents. And here's the kicker, that many of those same drugs are made right here in the United States of America. The ones right here made in our backyard that we're paying a buck for, they're paying 65 cents for in the United Kingdom, 57 cents in France, and in Italy for 51 cents. And you're saying that's probably all about the litigation. No, 
It's not because what happens is the FDA has protected every drug manufacturer. You can't sue the manufacturer of tamoxifen. It's illegal to sue them because they have FDA approval. So what they have here is the FDA is preventing us as citizens from buying the drugs that are available in Europe. They say we can't prove that the drugs that we buy, that you buy out of Europe, have been approved and covered the same way the drugs are that we get in the United States. But you have to understand, two-thirds of the medicine that's imported in the United States to be sold in the United States was manufactured someplace else. So what we have is the FDA protecting their money source, the pharmaceutical companies, against the competition of an open market. That's why the costs are so different. And interestingly, because even the price of generics are more expensive here than any place else, but just substituting generics for the prescription trade name products saves billions of dollars. Now, we have problems here. My opinion, there shouldn't be malpractice unless there is proof that the state organization says the doctor was, in fact, negligent. Why get sued because the belly button's one inch off the midline? $850,000 for a misplaced belly button? Come on, where's the reasonableness of that? Well, if it's your belly button, you know, maybe right. it's reasonable. Right, and you go back to surgery, you have it fixed, you know, you get $25,000 as a break, 850000 but then we do, when some woman burned her lap from the coffee being too hot right. uh, at McDonald's, she got $450,000. Right. So we have right. no reasonable sets mm. of liability. That's number one. Number two, there's a cost of dying. Hospitals make a third of their money by keeping dying people in the hospital at $5,000 a day, pumping them through chemotherapy, and the families just won't assume the responsibility to put them in hospice, and they feed on this. So the cost of dying, the odds are, for 80% of the people, more than two-thirds of all your health care dollars that you spend in your lifetime will be spent in your last 60 days. Wow. Is that a real stat? Yes. So while you're in the hospital dying is when the hospitals are making huge amounts of money with no chance for you to come home alive. But the pharmaceutical costs have gotten to the point where half of the costs of, and I'm working with one city government, and actually we have a number lined up, but 50% of their costs are pharmaceutical. So this one sample city we're going to talk about has 250 employees. Their health care costs for pharmaceutical drugs is almost a million dollars a year. Wow. $4,000 in healthcare costs, city government, for 250 people. Now, when I did the analysis, and that's what we can talk about, I cut their costs on their first 50 drugs by 50% without changing healthcare. We changed the drugs, made some substitutions, mm -hmm. And we saved $250,000 out of a million dollars without anybody losing coverage. How did you do that? Well, we can go through the examples if you want. But yeah. basically, we started by saying, what is the cause of the problem? Right. And uh, the way it worked, I mean, most people out there will say, gosh, I have that. So the number one cost to this uh, city government was Nexium. That's a stomach pill? Right. It's in the family of Prilosec and Asifex and... Uh, Ratadine and Zantec. For upset stomach. Right. The average cost of the prescription was $167 a month. 
Oh my God, really? There were 270 prescriptions for 250 people. You know, prescription refills three times a year, so about a third of the government employees had something. Mm -hmm. They were paying out $45,000 out of $900,000, so one-twentieth of every dollar spent was on someone with an upset stomach. Oh, man. And does that stuff even work? I mean, I've heard that baking soda works just fine, thank you very much. I use that. It works for me. I don't know. Well, the truth is, if you go to the pharmacy, you can buy 20 milligram Prilosec. And the cost of that is about $43 a month for 42 tablets or whatever it is. Uh, $29 for $42. Well, it's about, let's say, 40, $44 a month instead of $167 a month. Mm-hmm. But people say, well, a 20 milligram Prilosec doesn't work when I take it twice a day. I'd rather take the 30 milligram Nexium twice a day. So I say, hey, guys, tell you what I'll do. You can take three over-the-counter Prilosec a day and get the same coverage. It'll cost $60. I've now saved $100 times 270 I just saved $33,000 on one product by saying, use the over-the-counter product, take it one more time a day. Well, that makes great sense. And it it's really the does. same drug. Oh, the cities that you're talking to about this must really just light up. I mean, that makes so much sense. I mean, if you look at the numbers and just a tweaking of, of the administration of the drug. And then the number two drug, that, and we're just looking at costs. Mm-hmm. This is a bean counter, you know, not the doctor, just a bean counter. The number two drug in cost was something called Plavix. If you've had a heart attack or you had a stroke, they put you on something that is to keep your platelets from sticking. Sounds logical. Sure. Well, I went back to the literature and said, is there any proof it works? Interestingly, the statement from the Cochrane database, which is a medical source that just looks at information, said, uh-huh. quote, there's no difference in cost, effectiveness, or side effects of the three commonly available products, and the benefit and risk of treatment with Plavix plus aspirin are unknown, and there is no proof that Plavix is better than aspirin alone. Medical article reviews shows no benefits, and if there is benefit, and one say there might be, it's only good for the first month. So take Plavix for one month, take aspirin after that, and you've done everything scientifically you can do at a savings of $20,000 a year for the city. Just go with the science. Will the patients be compliant with that, do you think? Or do you think they'd buy into the advertising to the point where they're saying, no, I need the prescription because the commercial told me I needed it? Well, I think you have the right to do whatever you want if you're paying for it. But the point is, is there any proof that the drug you have is working? And the medical science said no. But your model for these cities is to say, look at this. Right? I mean, look at what's going on here. Right. And my model is to say, here is a science. You can click on my little piece of paper. You can punch this into Google. It'll give you the medical reference, the abstract, and you read it. Mm-hmm. Now, if it says there's no benefit and you want to take it, fine. Then you pay the $131.75 a month. We'll pay for the aspirin. Okay. So, yeah, your model uh, addresses the science, not the dogma, not the advertising. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, as you and I have talked before, by being on this, these testosterone we're using, yes. which costs $10 a week, it has antiplatelet effects that blow Plavix out of the freaking water. So if you're a guy with a heart attack, would you rather be on Plavix or would you rather be on some of my testosterones? Knowing that they were better 
at keeping you from having a clot in the future right. than the Plavix. That's easy. Yeah, well, that's easy, but it's logical. But if you have only seven minutes to see a patient, you don't do what I do, which is spend up half the night asking the question, why are we writing for these frigging prescriptions? Yes, I was one of those doctors too, you know? One of my first professors said, if you send the patient out of your office without a prescription, they won't come back. They expect a prescription. Well, I send patients out of here with information about prescriptions now. Yes, they get medication, but they get results. If you're taking Lipitor, you're taking Plavix, there's no proof it's working. You're basing it on the fact that the doctor's educated and you saw it on TV, but that's not necessarily the truth. In the field of cardiology, only 11% of the prescription medicine can be proven to be successful. Only 11% of the procedures done by doctors have been shown to be effective. 11%. We're lied to as doctors. Hey, well, 50% of what we do, we're not going to be doing 10 years, 20 years from now. Well, if I had my ways, 80% of what we're doing now, we wouldn't be doing tomorrow. Yeah. If it isn't scientifically proven, why do it? And what amazes me, another thing I've never understood, is how people can watch these commercials on TV. And commercials have only been on TV uh, that allowed drugs to market for the past 10 or 15 years, I think, relatively new, is that it's like we see the beginning of the commercial of what it can do for us, and we want to put our hands over our ears and block out the last 20 seconds, which say... Uh, using this could cause, you know, everything in the entire world. How can we not hear that? Well, I hate to think about how stupid people are. But remember, you know, we all start off trusting. You know, you went to your doctor because, you know, he had all this education. Right. And, you know, and you and I have gone to lawyers trusting that they at least won't screw us completely. That was a mistake. Yes, damn right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I rather I rather deal a bad doctor than a good attorney, but that's another story. All right. So number three, the third most expensive drug is called Avonex. Avonex is interferon. Interferon is a drug that's used when people have hepatitis. Okay. And you can't get around it. This is really the only drug for this problem. But the cost was $1,900 when you write for Avonex and $530 when you write for interferon. The generic drug saved $1,500 per patient per year. And there's no difference. So the doctor wants to write for the newest Avonex, which is a pen versus interferon, which comes in a pen. What's the difference? Well, the difference for the city government is $17,753 just by writing for the generic. So the municipalities that you're dealing with, they had been paying for those prescriptions or did it come through their insurance provider? How did that work? They're self-payers. See, the point is the governments are afraid of telling people that we're going to define what drugs you can take. And the attitude that I'm taking is, you can take any drug you want, but we're going to pay fully for the generic, and we're not going to pay for drugs that are equivalent. Even the federal government has done this. There's a drug called Epigen. Mm-hmm. Epigen is used for anemia when people are on dialysis. The company is Genetech, one of the most sought-after stocks because they have a 75 PE ratio and worth billions of dollars on one drug. Well, they came out with a new formula for this drug, and um, it starts with an A, and I don't remember the name. And the federal government said, no, we're not going to pay 50% more for your new drug. That's no different from your old drug. 
So if the federal government can say, we don't need you to go to a fancy name drug, we'll pay for the generic. And in some cases, Medicare says that. Well, I'm just saying to the, this government, the city government said, we'll pay for the drug. But we're going to pay for the generic drug. Do most municipalities work that way where no. they self-insure with oh, medications? Yes. They self-insure for health care and then they have what's called a uh, catastrophic insurance. So they may insure, be insured for those people over $175,000. But everything that's costs up to that, the city government pays. It's oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. And they big companies like General Motors and smaller companies like trucking companies who have a lot of employees, they self-insure. It's much cheaper. I mean, my health care costs for me personally is $2,500 a month. One guy, knock on wood in decent shape, $2,500 a month cost me $30,000 a year to insure me alone. And then when I insure my wife, it's another $2,000. So I pay $60,000 a year Man. for healthcare. Man. Okay, I and, I, I, had and I know how to keep the cost down. So that's drug one, two, and three. We've already saved $85,000. The fourth, the fifth, and the ninth, the tenth drugs are all dealing with cholesterol. Now, you've already heard me say that this is a disease that's been created for Pfizer. It is a non-disease. What counts is not what your cholesterol level, it counts whether you have plaques in your arteries. So it actually, finally, an article was written that says, if the patient has a calcium score under 100, there is no reason to take Lipitor. So before you even take a drug, which now has gone from cost of the Lipitor was $127 a month, now down to $4 a month, uh, which is fantastic savings because the generic substitutions or within the class, I mean, Lipitor still is not generic, but Pravacol, which is one generation before it is, you say, okay, we'll pay for Pravacol. It's $19 for three months. And you want to pay for $127 for Lipitor? Please feel free. But why are you taking the drug in the first place? I would rather you pay $300, have a test, to see if you have cholesterol plaques in your arteries. Right. If you don't have any plaques, why are you going to take a drug that's going to poison your energy system and you need to take $40 a month of CoQ10? That's another thing I've never understood is why insurance companies didn't pay for that. Maybe they're starting to now, but for the past so many years, those scan tests... They didn't pay for, but yet it seemed to me if they paid for them and they found information, that would help them. But the hospitals had $15,000 and $20,000 tests for heart disease. Why do the test for $300 when you can do the test for $15,000? When the $300 test is useful and the $15,000 test isn't because you've already had all that equipment there that you have to write off, so someone has to pay for it. I mean, we were going to do the story today about three or four patients who went to the hospital and had heart caths and never had any reason. They were already worked up by me. They already knew what their calcium scores were. One hospital said, we can't think about looking for your bleeding ulcer until you have a heart cath. I mean, the reasonableness of this is just so obtuse, it makes no sense. So, comes to Lipitor, question number one, do you really need it? And the only way you know you read it, need it, if you take a, uh, a test to see if you have any blockage. Do you know that Pfizer has made $50 billion in sales on Lipitor? $50 billion. Yes, if you want to compare that against nothing, then maybe there's some slight changes. But lowering cholesterol has never, in my opinion, saved a life. Because we know from you and I in our experiences, by giving the men their testosterone, their DHEA, you can prevent heart disease. Actually, a wonderful study came out when we talked about the next drug called Zetia. 
Zedian Vitorin, the new hot drugs for lowering Lipitor, mm-hmm. federal government came out saying there is no proof they work at all, that they're no better than just taking Lipitor. The drug companies went crazy, so you know what the FDA did? They backpedaled. The FDA backpedaled under pressure from the companies that made Zedia and Vitorin, saying that don't change if your doctor says so. But what happens is they did another study, and they said, will Vitorin or Zedia slow the progression of calcium in your arteries? So now the studies are what we talked about 20 years ago. These calcium scores are now being used to monitor the development of heart disease. Mm-hmm. Conclusion, if you're taking your DHEA and you're taking your fish oil, it's more important than taking your Zedia. So nutrition, cheap, simple, three, four, five dollars a month treatments are what is necessary for preventing heart disease. And if you think one pill is going to cure all, well, they'll be glad to take your money. Or as Barnum and Bailey said, there's a sucker born every minute. Every minute, every single minute. You know, we talk uh, about drug companies sometimes. Not always favorable, and for good reason. Uh, and we talk about how much money they make, but you know the fact is is that drug companies aren't doing as well as they were in the past. Their stocks are not doing so well, right? Because a lot of these drug companies that had made all their money off these older drugs, their uh, their patent has is since expired. Right, they're becoming generic. And the thing that we talked about before is the first set of drugs paralleled what was biologically available. Synthroid was part of the thyroid system. Armor thyroid was made in 1888. Insulin was made in 1922. All these were bioidentical hormones, bioidentical antibiotics, things that were made in nature. But to establish their patents, the drug companies tweaked them. They changed things. They biologically changed the molecule. And now we're in the fourth generation away from natural. Look at the drugs that were taken off the market. Resolin for diabetes, Actos and Avandia are soon to follow. Zetia, Vitorin, Crestor are going to be eliminated very soon. The, the drugs for uh, Atrimides, which was to lower cholesterol. All these drugs have been removed, Bacor, to lower cholesterol. All these have been removed because they're toxic to the body. Because the drug companies can't copy what's left in the body anymore and make a profit. So they're giving more and more toxic drugs coming out. And these new series of drugs, the Humiras, the Embrels, mm-hmm. you have one chance in 60 of developing tuberculosis. That's not a good odd. <laughs> I don't like that odds, no. odds. But these are the drugs that are coming out now, and they get these 57-page warnings, Celebrex, which I consider really a fairly benign drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be paying out oodles of money because of developing heart disease. You see, I have patients in the practice who have taken Lipitor, and I have three of them that have almost died. The drug had poisoned Lipitor, or related statin had poisoned their heart. And their muscles function at 15% of normal. And basically they're bedridden because the complication of the drug triggering response in the body could be fatal. I have a patient with Imitrex uh, whose daughter took an Imitrex shot and died right in the doctor's office from an asthma attack. God. The thing is, we have to, and remember, you can't sue the drug companies because their FDA-approved products are protected. The government tested them and said they were safe. If you have a problem, well, it's just too bad. So the point we have to make is that if you can treat with anything, treat naturally first. 
So if you have stomach distress and GERD, take your digestive enzymes and some B12, maybe a little stomach acid, and see if you get better. 60% of my patients go to natural. And then if they need a little Prilosec, they take it. I can't tell you that I have more than three or four patients in my whole practice who are on prescription Nexiums or Asifex. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to um, Lipitor drugs, uh, you know I don't write for it. There are a few patients who have major calcifications in their coronary arteries, and I won't argue with it, but we make sure they're on CoQ10. Because if you don't take CoQ10 along with the Lipitor, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, you're going to die with a weakened heart and heart failure. And guess who's going to blame, who are you going to blame then? Well, you probably couldn't have done better if you hadn't taken the drug in the first place. So that's just the first five drugs of our list of 50. Well, I'm impressed that, uh, and, and I did not know that uh, municipalities paid for their own prescriptions. But, you know, your plan with municipalities, with all of that in mind, is brilliant. I mean, that is an absolutely brilliant plan that I would imagine all municipalities will jump on board because it just makes sense, period. Well, we're taking one step further, and this is basically for any self-payers. Because we're eliminating the third-party ministers, so like Blue Cross. You won't be paying them for the physician making these decisions. You'll have a business relationship with one physician, and if he takes care of 50% of your patients and 50% of the health care, then that's 50% of the movement of dollars back and forth. You don't pay the provider. I mean, you go and you use a credit card, you pay 3%. When Blue Cross or Aetna gets involved with health care, they take 15%. So if you go ahead and you go see the doctor and it's a $100 visit, well, it's $115 because the $15 went to the third-party administrator. And then the doctor wrote for a prescription. Mm. Prescription's $200, which another $30 went to the insurance company. Suddenly you see that healthcare costs, 15% of it is purely administrative. So these healthcare providers who, quote, say, we're keeping the cost down because we're restricting hospital right. payments, they're taking huge amounts, as insurance companies always do, of the healthcare dollar. If you went ahead and gave each one of these patients and said, here's $4,000, and we'll keep out $450 for your catastrophic care, and you guys pool your money and we're done with it, you'd save 25% right off the bat, no administrative fees. So you have to understand where the money is. Everyone has a piece in the doctor's pocket. Doctor's reimbursement hasn't gone up since 1991. 20 years, reimbursement is basically the same. Mm-hmm. Would you want to be liable for doing a delivery on a patient, seeing her 15 times, spending hours with her in the hospital and get $900, knowing that your malpractice premium is $45,000 no, a year? No. I mean, I don't know why anybody wants to do obstetrics anymore. That's why I got out. I mean, why I got sued for saving lives. And I got the point in time is, why do I have to worry about going bankrupt and spending all this time and effort when... The system is stacked against good hospital care. So if any people are out there that are self-insurers, uh, could they contact you on this? Is there any way they could get information? Right. We're going to have a, uh, a broker who's actually going to be selling our new form of health care plan. And we will implement this through an electronic medical record system. So when the patient sees the doctor and you plug in the diagnosis, up comes all the medical information we're talking about in the top 1,000 disease states. So if you want to write for Plavix, the literature says, it comes up with the article and references, all you need to do is cover them for one month. 
use the aspirin. And then if you want to talk about what else is available scientifically, we've got the DHEA, we've got the fish oil, we have the vitamin E, and then we have the new information about the androgen therapies that we're strictly regulating. So the point is, yes, there's things you could offer for better care for less. But scientifically, if all the formulary says is we're going strictly by what is in the literature, they're safe. I mean, I have to fight with insurance companies for guys who come in and have no testosterone. Right. They say, we're not used to replacing this, so we just won't do it. I said, so some idiot in your formulary just didn't understand that a guy with who had a heart attack, his testosterone level went to lower than a female. But we're not going to replace this prescription that costs $150 for 20 weeks. We're just going to go ahead and ignore it so we can put $1,000 back in for his next heart attack. Hmm. Well, more good information from Dr. Edward Lichten, the expert in this field of anti-aging and wellness medicine. Dr. Lichten, you've got a great website at usdoctor.com. All kinds of information out there that people can learn more about what you do, correct? Oh, yes, and it's all free. I mean, the bottom line is you can even get your blood test done. You can see what we're looking at. You can look to see what normal is, and we can go from there. So check that out. usdoctor.com is Dr. Lichten's official site, and you can learn more, all kinds of resources there for you. He's also available for consultations if you'd like to speak with him direct. Call him at 248-593-9999. Again, the number to reach Dr. Edward Lichten is 248-593-9999. And again, another great show, more information that will help all of us, Dr. Lichten. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate everything you do. Well, we appreciate, Steve, that you make it available for all the listeners and you're telling me now we're reaching more than 10,000 people a month, and it's all because you offered your time. I'm more than glad to offer the information. Please pass the word along. Email the iTunes location to a friend and say, hey, you know, is this something you can use? Yep. Are, are you a person with a complaint that really isn't getting treated to the best possible uh, medical limitations? There are answers out there for a lot of diseases that... It's not necessarily the doctors don't want you to know. The doctors are afraid to step outside the bounds of what they are told. My job is to inform you what you can do to make your life better and safer and healthier today. And thanks for doing that. A new show every Monday on iTunes and on antiagingradio.com. Thanks again, Dr. Lichten. I'm Steve Peck. Until next week, have a great one and stay healthy.